Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Paul Wheeler with Accent Realtors in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Last year, he closed 248 transactions with a total sales volume of $35 million. His average sales price was $144,000, of which 47% were buyers and 53% were sellers. Plus, Paul manages 283 rental properties, generating $228,000 per month in rents. He operates a team with 18 members, 6 buyer specialists, 2 listing specialists, 1 lead coordinator, 1 listing manager, 1 listing manager assistant, 1 contracts manager, 1 contracts manager assistant, 1 director of first impressions, 1 property manager, 1 maintenance manager, one move-in specialist, and one team leader. Paul Wheeler is the team leader of the Wheeler team. He's been an agent for 21 years. He's sold over 2,000 homes in his career. In this call, Paul talks about knowing he wanted to be self-employed at age 11, buying his first rental property while attending college, selling 32 homes his first year in the business and not being satisfied, how he only works Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., takes six to eight weeks of vacation per year, and reads two to four books per week, why he puts his kids in his marketing, and how it helped him improve his brand, exactly how his guaranteed sales program works, his TV, billboard, and Internet lead programs, including cost, pointers, and ROI how he gets 55% of his business by repeating referrals from his past clients and sphere of influence, his property management division, structure, staff, and revenues, benefits of hiring two listing specialists who focus all their time and effort on taking listings, including the conversion numbers you can expect, building a retirement through real estate investment holding companies, Paul's plan to give 100% of his profits away to charity, plus team dynamics, compensation, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com that's free, referralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Paul. Thank you, Mike. Paul, before we start talking about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. Well, I don't know if I can remember that far back. Uh, <laughs> this is my 21st year in the business, and I was I was in college, and I, I did the... Uh, the long-term plan paid as I went and spent nine years in college, but uh, had a great time. Knew I wanted to be self-employed, and so had a couple of uh, businesses during that time. And then I found real estate 
kind of by accident and uh, and picked up a couple of investment properties while I was still in college and thought to myself, well, this looks like an interesting business, and and it has been. You were purchasing investment properties while you were in school? I was. Wow, that's great. Did you buy investment property before you owned a home for yourself, or did you get a home for yourself first? Kind of a combination of uh, the two. My first property was a duplex, and I moved into one side of it and rented the other. Very smart. That's fantastic. How did you choose to get into real estate? You know, you know. Back to, uh, I knew I wanted to be self-employed. I knew that from age eleven, and so I was looking for the right business and the right fit. And so when I went through the process of buying the first uh, duplex, I thought to myself, you know, this is an interesting business, but wow, it needs some help. And so at the time, I was majoring in business in college, and so you know, I saw the business model that my realtor at that time was using and and thought to myself, you know, there are so many ways we can improve on this and this looks like fun. And so I just kind of jumped in and it has been a perfect fit for me and my personality and my goals ever since. I have to ask, why did you know you wanted to be self-employed since age 11? Great question. My dad came to me at age 11 and said, my business is growing too much. And he had started a business and we had a farm and he said, I can't take care of the farm anymore. So I need you to take care of the farm. And so from that point forward, I needed to to hire and fire and plant and harvest and take care of all of the animals. So from age 11, I started doing that and just loved it. Absolutely fell in love with it. In fact, I almost uh, stayed a farmer because I love the farming aspect as well, but I love the, um, the, uh, the business aspect of it. When you started your real estate career, did you have a fast start or a slow start? I think it was pretty slow. It, 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 uh, the first year, I think I sold 32 homes and they uh, labeled me a rock star, but I remember making at that time you know, $50,000 or whatever it was. Um, it's been a long time, 21 years ago, and spending $50,000. So, <laughs> so uh, I, I was a slow learner. Uh, of course, I've changed all that. But um, as far as numbers, maybe I, I, I started well, and um, but I, it, it took me a long time to learn the business principles to get to the success level that I'm at now. And so I think it was a slow start. How many homes did you sell last year? 224. And the sales volume? Sales volume, uh, $29 million and change. How many homes do you think you'll sell this year? 300. And are you on pace to do that? We are. Uh, we slipped a little last month. We were ahead of pace for the uh, entire year. Things have been uh, going really, really well, but we get the uh, the August uh, um, slump, and that's kids going back to school, families taking their last vacation. We had a major storm that came through and kind of shut our town down for uh, about a week, but uh, I'm so busy now, I, I can't see straight, so we're, we're, we're back on track, and I'm sure we'll hit the 300. I understand that you have a, a pretty tight work week. You only work Monday through Friday, 
and you're home every night at 3. Is that true? Yeah, I drop the kids off at school in the morning and pick them up at uh, 3, 3.15. Wow, and so your operation runs without you? It does. I think it runs better without me. <laughs> in addition to that, I believe you're taking quite a bit of vacation each year. How much vacation are you taking? Six to eight weeks. Wow. you like to travel, or what do you do with that time off? We do. We have uh, three kids. I'm, I'm really blessed with a wonderful wife and three great kids, ages 6, 8, and 10, and they are only that age for a very, very short period of time, and traveling is our hobby, so we spend a lot of time you know, every evening and weekends, and then, uh, of course, our, our trips, and we spend time together, and, and uh, it's one of our favorite things to do. How many homes have you sold in your career? Over a couple of thousand. So we're at 200 plus this year, and we've been at 200 for several years. Uh, so, you know, it's two to 3,000 homes. Where is Tulsa, Oklahoma? Middle America, below Kansas and above Texas. Great part of the country. Easy to get to the East Coast and West Coast, and uh, just a wonderful, wonderful community to raise a family in. Do you know the population in Tulsa? Yeah, about 600,000. Describe your current real estate market. Average sales price this year is up uh, quite a bit from where we were last year, about 140 to 165,000 now, so a very affordable market. Actually, it's one of the most affordable markets in the country. Uh, recovering. So we have been, our peak year was 2006 for a number of transactions. And uh, then we started to decline, of course, with the subprime mortgage scandal and national recession and banking collapse. And our buyer pool now is starting to increase in size, which is wonderful. Our values have quit dropping. We're hoping to have a 1% to 2% appreciation this year. But the move-up buyer is back in the market. Things are moving fairly quickly. I think the average market time is running around 50. Mine's closer to 30 days on the market. Inventory is coming down a little bit as well. So we were at uh, about 10,000 properties on the market and now we're at about 7,500. Back in 2003, we were at about 4,000 properties on the market. So we still have a high inventory, but uh, we are seeing signs of recovery. And in the next three to five years, we should move into a seller's market versus uh, the buyer's market. If you were to look out at your overall market now, what percentage of the homes that are being sold are REO or short sell versus traditional retail? Less than 10% now. Do you have a niche or a specialization in your market? You know, probably the best, the best way to answer that is with my branding. I'm the, the guy on TV and the billboards with my kids, and we have the guaranteed sales program. So we're home of the guaranteed sale. If we don't sell your home in 90 days, I'll buy it. So that's um, probably what we're known for the most. You know, if there's a niche, what is most of my business? You know, past clients and referrals are a sizable chunk. And so just we're known for the the people that get results. If you want to sell your house, call Paul Wheeler and the Accent team. And so if that's what you mean by niche, that's those are the things that come to mind first. Yeah, you use your kids in your advertising, correct? That's right. 
What made you decide to do that? They're a lot cuter than I am. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you know, what's the saying? Uh, pets, uh, children, and beautiful people uh, for marketing. There's, there's a more crass way to put that, but the kids people really relate to. And, and every week I get somebody that says, you seem like such a family man. And so they call me. They can relate to me. So, yeah, and the kids are cuter than I am. You mentioned you're doing the Guaranteed Sell program. How long have you been doing that? Over 10 years now. So it must be working. Yeah, it really is. If there's any downside to it, it's one of those things that seems too good to be true. But it's a, it's a fantastic program. Describe for us how that works. Basically, we go out to a property and evaluate uh, the property like any other listing and but we determine an estimated uh, market value that we're willing to bet on. And we say, okay, we think your house will sell between here and here. Worst case scenario, your, your market value, I did one yesterday, would be 190, 190,000. And I'll buy at 90% of that. So if someone needs a light at the end of the tunnel, needs that guarantee, and usually it's someone that's in distress, they, they love it. So do we ever have to do it? It is so rare. I've bought seven homes, I think, in the last 10 to you know, 12 years I've been doing that. So it's just, it's a nice, feel-good type program, but uh, we don't have to use it very often. So you're guaranteeing 90% of the fair market value on a range, and you've picked the lower number in the range, and then you take 90% of that. Yep. And when you do that, do you also take out your commission? So they're effectively somewhere in the, the mid-80s on the percentage of the fair market value that the seller would receive. That's exactly it. The only difference is 10% that we would get from the open market or from me. So when I buy it, 90%. Everything else is the same. I've already spent the money on marketing the property. You have 90 days to do that. During the 90 days, is, are there any price changes? Is it the same price for the whole 90 days? Uh, they step down every uh, 22 days generally, and they have to be at the bottom price that I guarantee that I'll buy at for 30 days. So if you had established that the fair market value is 100000 they'd have to hang around at $90,000 in a sales price for the last 30 days. That's exactly right. Are there any other requirements that you have in that program uh, that if somebody was thinking about putting together one of these programs they'd want to know about? Yeah, I've added things over the years. They, uh, of course, have to allow showings. They have to keep the place in a certain condition. I had one guy, it was funny, several years ago, they uh, would show up at the door as a seller naked. <laughs> uh, so I, I, you know, I put in there, no uh, irrational behavior. <laughs> they, they have to, you know, you just wonder where, you know, what these people are thinking, but you have to uh, pre-inspect your house and, uh, and that type of thing. And so, um, yeah, just a, a lot of things just to make sure they're not out to, to um, take advantage of the program. When you're on one of those programs, it sounds like the majority of the properties that go into this program are selling uh, before that last 30 days? Absolutely. 
And then you've had to purchase seven of those properties. What happened where you ended up having to buy them? Why didn't it work out where it sold in the open market? I was just wrong on uh, my estimated market value. Estimated too high. Yep. I think that you have one other part of the program, and that is if somebody purchases one of your listings, you guarantee a higher percentage? Right. I guarantee 95% of what uh, we determine as market value. How often does that happen where someone's buying one of your listing and they want you to guarantee to sell their home? Just every so often. Usually, it starts with a seller contacting us saying, I want the guaranteed sale program. Usually, in our market, when buyers are looking to buy, they are able to. So they have a place that's sold. And, you know, so it it probably happens once a month on that side. Why do you do this program? Why do you do the guaranteed sell program? Initially, I did it to generate uh, at-bats, so leads. And uh, I just think it serves a great need as well. People's biggest fear in buying and selling homes is having two homes at at one time or uh, having no homes. And so it, it kind of eliminates that fear. And so we're, we're addressing the biggest need, in my mind, when people are buying and selling. Have you used this program with uh, home builders? I have. Some home builders send people to us, and they, uh, they say, we have someone that wants to buy one of our homes. Would you visit with our buyer and see if you can sell their home and and guarantee it in 90 days so that we can start construction. How many people who go into the program end up buying their next home with you? What percent? You know, I don't know. Um, Generally, if they are in need of buying, usually people that go in that program are are distressed, as I had mentioned before. And uh, if they are not distressed, they just sell and they buy through us. So if they're distressed, you know, a lot of times they've had job changes, they're moving out of state, and something has happened that causes them to have to sell the house and they're really not set up from that point to buy another one. So that that doesn't happen as much, and I don't know, again, the percentages, but uh, the main thing is people call us and check out the program and And a lot of them just say, okay, sounds great. If we need it, we'll get into that program right now. Let's market this thing at 100% of market value. We get it sold, and then they buy with us. So not everybody signs up for the program. What percentage of the people who call in on the program end up going into it? Probably 10%. So it's pretty low. Anybody that wants to sell and, and sell with a great real estate team hires us so we get you know, 75% of our, our uh, listing appointments um, turn into a, uh, into a listing, and we rarely lose our listings to anybody else just because we have a great marketing campaign and we go in and understand their needs, understand the market, and, and they value our expertise. I would assume that one of the biggest fears of agents or offering a program like this is that they would end up having to buy the home. Do you have arrangements to buy it in the back end? Are you buying it? Did you put together a pool of investors to buy it? How have you resolved that problem? 
I buy them, so I'm an investor uh, first and foremost, and so I just buy them and put them in my investment pool. All right, thank you for walking us through the program. Absolutely. Let's walk through the different ways that you're generating leads in business. Sure, the big one is TV, and that brands us the, the best. And then we have billboard, past clients, referrals, and then web things like Tiger and Tiger Lead and Boomtown and, and our uh, our website. IVR is a great lead generator as well, so interactive voice response. Let's break those down. Let's talk about your uh, television ad first. How long have you been advertising on television? Probably 10 years. Why did you choose to advertise on television? We did a survey about 10 years ago. And we hired a professional marketing company to kind of rebrand us. And one of the questions I remember distinctly on the survey was, have you heard about this real estate company and this real estate company and this real estate company and Accent Realtors was one of those. And 50% said Accent who? And so we weren't known in the business and in town. And so we set out to rebrand ourselves. Now. We never get that. I walk into any room and you know any any building, any crowd uh, in town, especially if I'm with the kids, and they go, "Hey, you're the real estate guy." You know, so everybody in town knows us. So the branding power of TV is just amazing. What stations are you going out on? Are you on one station or multiple stations? Multiple stations. It's not cable, it's primetime stuff, and you know, you get a mix, of course, some off hours times. And then in the summer, I, I plug in a, a, a news section as well, so we really hit hard for the, for the few summer months, spring and summer, and we plug into a morning and evening news. How many stations are you on? You're asking a funny question, and, and, and I'll explain why. I, uh, I don't watch TV. <laughs> so channel, channel six is, is the channel that, uh, that markets us. And then, so it's news. So, you know, I think it's, it's really channel six and all of their shows. So it's a variety of shows, but it's channel six and they're the number one station in town. So most watched and so I guess one. Okay, I got you. So it's one station, and it happens over multiple shows or multiple viewings during the day and the week. Right. How did you select that station? Great question there, too. I, because I don't know anything about TV, I grew up without a TV, so I watch zero. I mean, I, I don't watch it at all. So I heard about a media buyer, and I hired a media buyer here in town, and they're the experts. They know how to stack the commercials, what shows get the best ratings, you know, what to run, where the discounts are, all those things. And so I hired a media buyer for expert placement, and, uh, and then we just measure everything. And it, it really changed our, our production and changed our lives because we had experts placing this, and there's no additional cost. They get paid from the TV stations on a commission. And so, I mean, someone else is doing all the work now for the same price. Wow, that's great. Yeah, it was. It uh, was a great day when I found a media buyer. It's like finding a good agent. I know. 
Do you know the the frequency, how often you're going out, how many ads are being shown either per day or per month? Yeah, we run every other week. And so what they recommend is stacking. And so they stack Monday and Tuesday during the week multiple times so we get the um, the repetition that we need for good ad placement. And then they skip a week and they do it again the next week and they skip a week. And so it's every other week with stacking on Mondays and Tuesdays and uh, seems to work real well. What is the cost to run this program? We uh, spend $5,000 a month on the TV campaign. Sounds like you're tracking it. What kind of money has come back? All of my marketing combined is a, uh, I want a 10 to 1 return on investment. So if I spend 100, I want to make 1,000. TV usually floats around um, 5 or 6. But the TV leads everybody into, you know, the, the websites and just name recognition. And so all of our marketing is around 10 to 1 return. And the TV just brands us so well. So I can't separate them out. One of the mistakes I made in the past was I just did one thing to advertise. And the marketing people taught me you have to market across a few mediums to to brand yourself well and get name recognition. And so it's the most powerful thing we do. It really, really works well. Do you use any type of tracking mechanisms within the ad? For instance, do you use a special phone number that's only designated for the ad or a special website or a domain name just for the ad? We don't. We track everything as it comes in. So every time we get a seller lead, we, uh, we always ask for a buyer lead or a rental lead. We, one of our first questions is, how did you hear about us today? What made you call us today? For the ad itself... What does it look like and who writes it? Who put it together? Did, did you design it? Did someone else design it? What does the ad itself look like? It's a 30-second spot, and it's me talking. And just, hi, I'm Paul Wheeler with Accent Realtors. It is the, um, who's the gentleman? I'm sorry, uh, Shaw. Russell Shaw? Yeah, out of uh, Arizona. And so basically we copied what he did. And remember, we're not bragging, we're applying for a job. And so it's just a great, great script and works very, very well. Did you do that from the very beginning, the 10 years ago, or did you try other other approaches? We tested other approaches, but boy, we kept that. I remember, I'm not bragging, I'm applying for a job in there. And so, again, when I walk into any room in in uh, town or any crowd, they go, hey, I'm not bragging, I'm applying for a job. It's, it's <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's wonderful. Do you run the same ad over and over, or do you switch it out every so often? A couple of years ago, we did four different ads with a little different structure. We didn't take out the, remember, I'm not bragging, I'm applying for a job, of course. And we use some humor, and, and so we've tested different things, and we use testimonials. So, but we, we stick with a real basic Russell Shaw commercial, and then we intermix it with some of the others depending on the season. And, and so, uh, but the, the basic one is always rotating through. The basic Russell Shaw one is always rotating through. 
Do you have any recommendations or advice to an agent who's thinking about doing a television ad? Yeah, get a copy of mine or Russell Shaw's and, and just use them. Don't, don't reinvent the wheel. Well, very good. So that's what you're doing with television. Uh, you also mentioned you have a billboard. Do you have just one billboard, multiple billboards? Tell us about your billboard advertising. Okay. I've had up to, I think, 15, depending on the economy and how badly uh, the billboard company wanted our business. Now I focus on just one in the highest traffic area in town, and I've learned things about billboards. You don't want to do a cross-read, which is across the highway. You want the same side of the highway for your billboard. You don't want a through highway on your community because, you know, half the people are going from state to state. You want uh, an in-town highway with tons and tons of traffic. You want that billboard hanging right over the road, if at all possible. You don't want trees behind it or buildings behind it. You want sky behind it because it pops, and you want it lighted at night. And then uh, let's see if there's anything else I can share with with billboard lessons. Um, put the kids up there. It's cute. The less words, the better. So if you can do three words instead of four on a billboard, that's that's better. If you can do you know five instead of six, that's better. So I used to have. I don't sell your home in 90 days, I'll buy it. That was too many words. And then it was, if our daddy doesn't sell your home in 90 days, he'll buy it. Now it's our daddy sells homes, guaranteed. So five words. What is the response mechanism? What's the call to action? Is there a phone number, a website? Yeah, so both. So accentrealtors.com and the phone number. Really, really clean. So half of the billboard is the picture of me and the kids and now the poodles. So... We've got, you know, cute kids and puppies. The other is the telephone number, really big. And one other thing I've learned, too, if if you can get a billboard over a, a construction area so the traffic stops, it is golden. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, that's just, that's just chance. But, boy, if you can do that, that uh, really works well. I had a year on, on one billboard where, you know, the traffic just stopped right under my billboard. And that was, that was pretty good. Do you track? Well, you said that your tracking mechanism is asking people how they heard about you. How many people call you based on the billboard? About 10%. And so many times, you know, we, we say TV and it's, you know, 35 to 40% of our seller leads come in from the TV. But a lot of times they say, yeah, I've seen you everywhere, billboard, TV. And, you know, so we just pick one. But billboard brands as well. I was on a listing yesterday. Yeah, I see your billboard as I go downtown, and and I see it all the time. And so it is just name recognition. Sounds like you have a a premium location. How much is that costing you? Three thousand a month. And it's paying for itself. Yeah, sure is. A real big chunk of your business is coming from past clients and sphere of influence. Tell us about your database. How big is your database of past clients and sphere of influence? Our database is huge. And, you know, that's one of the things that I think every top producer struggles with. We have fifteen to 16,000 people in there because not only is it our sphere of influence and our past clients, it's the leads. And so our database or database of great 
leads, past clients, and sphere of influence is about 6,000. And uh, we are in the middle of a project now to, to categorize those, narrow it down, and market correctly to each segment. But uh, if you include everybody, it's just huge. Do you market to all the people in the database the same right now? We do. Yeah. And so we'll start, we'll start changing that. How are you marketing to the 16,000 people? A monthly real estate update and then a monthly contest of sorts. And so questions about town for, you know, opera tickets or sporting event tickets or theater tickets or just different things that come available. We, uh, we, we ask questions and the first one to reply with the correct answer and gets those tickets. So. so a little interaction. Right. The monthly real estate update, I assume both of these are emailed out, correct? Right. The monthly real estate update, what's in there? Just what's going on uh, in, the, in the market, recovery or, or uh, bust and interest rates and, you know, and things about short sales and our guaranteed sale program and that type of thing. It's a template right now. It's marginal at best. Realty times, and we're actually going to shift from that to something different and better. But um, it's um, done well over the years. It's just a reminder we're out there, and here's some information that might be of use. Are you doing anything else to get in front of your past clients and sphere of influence? Are you making phone calls, sending out direct mail, having uh, client appreciation parties? I used to. I used to do all those things, and I found. What happened is I get in front of our past clients when they're driving down the road and they still see the billboard and, and I get into their home now with TV. You know, I remember having a past client that um, called me and said, you scared me to death this morning. I uh, uh, got out of the shower getting ready for work and I heard your voice. <laughs> and her TV was on <laughs> in, her, in her bedroom. I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's not good. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, that's how we stay in touch. I mean, they just don't forget about us now because we're, we're everywhere. The database got so big that, I, you know, originally I started calling all of our past clients and center of influence every month. And then, oh, my gosh, I, I ran out of time. And so I started calling them every quarter. And then every year, and finally, it just it can't be done. We spend all of our days focused on handling the leads that come in, setting those appointments, and negotiating contracts. You said you're in the process now of cleaning up your database and putting it into categories. How are you going about that? What's your goal? We've hired Dak now, Brad Carroll, off the East Coast. He's just... Uh, a whiz with uh, websites and social media and that type of thing. So some of the work will have to be internal with um, picking the, the top, top, top database members and categorizing them. And so it'll be a combined effort of, you know, how to do that with um, Dacno's uh, guidance and, and our our uh, intern or part-timer going into the database and sorting things out. So you haven't created the K-1 
categories that you want to use yet? No, in fact, I wrote down this morning to uh, find a good book on the best systems of managing and categorizing a great big database. You know of any? <laughs> I don't offhand. <laughs> I don't. But that brings up an interesting uh, point. I understand you read a lot of books each year. I do. How many books do you read? Four so far this week. <laughs> Are you a speed so a lot. reader? I read, uh, I read two to four a week. And, uh, and, I, and I say I read, I listen to them on my iPhone. And so I'm mobile. So it's in between appointments. It's in my daily planning in solitude each morning. It's in my, my workout time, maybe my gardening time. And uh, I listen to them at three times the normal speed. The I- iPhone allows you to speed the recording up. And I learned this from a great friend of mine who is blind. And he gets his, he has a special machine that listens to him at five times the speed and gets his recordings from the Library of Congress. And um, he reads a book a day. So it's, it just, it'll change your life. You know, my, I have a firm belief that education or the proper use of, of that education and knowledge will absolutely solve any challenge that you have. And so uh, it does. So you're really not reading with your eyes. You're hearing, you're listening to these books. Right. Correct. At three times the speed, are you still able to understand and, and comprehend what's going on in the book? Can you regurgitate what you just listened to? Yeah, not initially. You have to work up to that. So the iPhone allows you to bump up to one and a half times the speed, two times the speed, two and a half, and then three. And now I wish it went up to four or five. I can, I can handle faster now. It doesn't sound strange. It sound like the, the chipmunks, uh, you know, going crazy. It does, yeah. My kids pick on me all the time if they walk into a room and I'm listening to it, you know, while I'm cooking dinner or, or uh, you know, washing the dishes or whatever. And they go, Dad, how can you understand that? So you haven't trained them yet? No, I'm working on them. Anything else you could tell us about working your past client sphere of influence database? Only that it's really, really, really important. And don't wait as long as I have to really master that. So if you can master it in the beginning, it would probably be one of the best things you'll do for your business. So um, just get a handle on it in the beginning. Don't lose control of it. Be an expert in your database management, and uh, it'll make a great career for you. You also mentioned that you're generating business from websites and the Internet. You mentioned Tiger Leads and Boomtown. Tell us what you're doing there. First of all, how much business is coming in from that source? What percentage of your business? Buyer side transactions are 58%. Last year or year to date, and I apologize, I don't have those statistics in front of me. And so it's pretty significant. And Boomtown and, and Tiger Lead do a nice job. Their cost is, is pretty high. And so we decided to test those a couple of years ago. I will share with you that we will probably transition out of those based on what we've learned to this point and not have such a heavy uh, management fee cost up front. Have they paid for themselves? Absolutely. They generally give me a four-to-one return on my investment, but I'm also a 
partnering with lenders on each of those to pay for a significant part of those costs. So they're not bad at all, but I think I can do, I really believe I can do better on my own paying Google directly and uh, having a system of managing those leads that we do internally. How long have you been purchasing these internet leads? A couple of years. Of the ones that you're using, Tiger Leads and Boomtown, is one better than the other? We try to decide that as well. The systems in the back end of Boomtown seem to be more user-friendly based on my team's response. Tiger Lead actually has produced more income, and the number of transactions are about the same. I think Tiger Lead year-to-date has one more transaction than Boomtown, but a significantly higher income than boom. So maybe it's targeting a, a higher buyer price buyer pool. Or, but we're trying to figure that out as well. They're pretty comparable, really. How much are you investing in each of these each month? And what are you getting back? 1500 per system per month. So $3,000 total. And on average, we're getting back 12 to... I've had months where we've had $30,000 in income from those, and some were less. So it's four times plus. So on average, it's twelve dollars to $15,000 of income on average that we get from those. Any advice to someone who's thinking about using one of those two companies? Respond immediately. Have great scripts. If you're not returning those calls, hold the team accountable to great systems for responding with a sense of urgency and servicing those clients. That's important. And then partner with a lender who also follows up and serves those clients well. Yeah, you mentioned the lenders are participating in that. Are they paying a percentage of the overall bill? Mm-hmm, yeah. Do they pay that direct to the vendor? They do. Is your portion the 3000 or is that the total amount each month? That's our portion, and then theirs is 3000 as well. Okay, so you're splitting it with your lender, your co-op advertising. Right. Of the 3000 you're investing in, and then you get a match on that, How many? basically how many leads are coming in each month? We have 100 to 150 leads coming in off of each one. Very good. So about two to 300 leads in total that you're following up with and also your lender. Right. Where do you track all of these leads that they come in? Are you following it in the back end of each of these systems, Tiger Leads and Boomtown? Yes. Does your lender also have access to that back end? Yes, they do. Okay, so you're all kind of seeing the same data. Are you able to take notes in the back end so you all can see what the other is doing? Yes, we are. Well, let's do this. You also mentioned IVR is working really well for you. That's a 800 number hotline where people call in and they can listen to a recorded message. Their phone number is captured and then you're getting that data. Where are you advertising the IVR? Everywhere we can. So flyers on the signs, on the sign, on the, the frame of the sign, on the web. Everywhere we can advertise the IVR we do, it is the best return on our investment. It's 70 some to one. So if we spend a dollar, we make $70 plus back on that system because it's just so inexpensive. 
So even on the internet, you're able to advertise that number and people are calling in. Right. How long have you been using the IVR system? At least 10 years. Which company do you use? ProQuest. Is it ProQuest? Yeah, so ProQuest, yeah. You can tell I don't handle that part of the business, <laughs> <laughs> which, is, which is lucky for the rest of the team. What is the key to making that program successful, the IVR program? Good follow-up and good response times. Just that servant heart mentality and, and uh, communication. It comes down to our vision. Our job is to educate and communicate in such a way that our clients can make great decisions. And so it's just a great, great follow-up with warm leads. Paul, I get the impression that you've done a lot of experimentation in the marketing arena over the last 20 years. What has been your worst, your worst marketing method, the thing that just did not work? Farming. Geographic farming? No kidding. I know in some communities it works. I have tested it, and I used to waste my money on testing it in different neighborhoods in our area. And then I realized I could use other people's money to test it. So anytime someone farmed a particular neighborhood, I would run their numbers. So if I knew a particular agent was farming a a neighborhood, I would just run their numbers at the end of the year to see how much production they had. And I have never seen it exceed one-to-one return on investment because I know how much the flags cost and the flyers cost and all the things that they do. And it just does not work here in the Tulsa market. It's amazing. Realtors might think it does, but they're spending a dollar and they're making a dollar. It's just a huge waste of time. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. How long did you experiment with yourself? Too long. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a, a couple uh, it, of years? It was, and... it was uh, more than one year, several years, you know, different neighborhoods, because everybody said that was the thing to do. Oh, you're just not doing it right. So I'd get different campaigns from different, you know, parts of the country, and I'd try them all and just went, oh, it was always one-to-one return on my investment. You've also mentioned that you, you've kind of started up a, a little side business, property management. How many rental properties do you have under management? We manage a few hundred. Do you happen to know what the gross rent coming in is from all those different properties? Our average rental is about 800 So what's that total up to be? And I spend about an hour in that company a week just overseeing it. But I look at financials daily. And so it's significant. We're coming in with you know, well over $100,000 a month. I know one of the questions I saw last night was, what are our margins and is it profitable? Our margins on that particular business are about 40%, so it's not bad. It's not huge profit like the real estate companies can be, but it's a great little side business. And the reason we started it, I had actually started a property management company before I started selling real estate. And I sold it 
because it was not that profitable. It was more of a headache. And if I spent time selling real estate, I could make a lot more money. And so I sold it. Then the market tanked and we kept running into our conversion rates on our listing appointments went down to 30% because people couldn't sell. And they had to have a, a backup plan because they were leaving town. They had to get a job somewhere else in another state or whatever. And so I started the property management company back up so we could handle those sellers that could not sell. They owed too much. The market had gone down. So now we manage, and then as they, as the market improves, we sell those properties that they couldn't sell at that time. I've heard some other agents call it their farm team, their farm team for listings. Yeah, exactly. Do you happen to know what your gross commission income is off of those rentals each month? Just the management fee is about $15,000. Those management fees, as you mentioned, are covering the cost of running that operation. You said you got a 40% margin. How many people do you have over there running the management? We have a few. So we've got our property manager, our maintenance person, and uh, client care person that handles move-ins and that type of thing. As far as finding landlords, they pretty much found you. It sounds like you simply had sellers that were upside down and that's how you built the inventory of rentals. It wasn't that you went out looking for investors, correct? Right, that's exactly it. Now we're growing it in leaps and bounds because of uh, referrals from our management systems and doing just a great job. Now you're opening it up to investors and you're pursuing investors. Right. Could you tell us what your income structure is over there. You mentioned you have these management fees. What are all the different kinds of fees you're charging on the management side? Of course, the 10% management fee for uh, the property. But the, the general rule is if we have to raise a finger, we make money on it. So if we have to post notices, if we have to do anything relating to that property, there's an extra fee because there just isn't a bunch of profit in property management. So the extra fees take our income up to you know around $30,000 a month with turns and make-readies and you know taking care of the, the tenant issues. And a lot of times it gets charged to the tenant because they're being ir- irrational or calling on things that are their fault. So any... Uh, any appointments that we have to set up, let's say, to check on something and they want to be there versus just let a repair person in, it's a you know, $25 or $50 charge. And if they want a meeting on the weekend, it's a, it's a you know, $100 or $200 charge or whatever it is. So there's just a lot of ways that we either keep it very, very simple or we make more money. So you have some type of fee structure, some sounds like a long list of fees based on each action that you take, you're going to charge an appropriate fee. Yep. Any recommendations that you could make to an agent thinking about starting a property management division? I'd probably get a really good property management software and then hire someone with a lot of experience to, to handle all of that. So that's key. And then build the team slowly, have those systems in place, just like any other business. Do you remember what software you're using for the property management side? I do, PropertyWare. Get back to your sales side of your business, your team. 
I'd like to talk about your team. Uh, you have a lot of interesting positions there. First, I'd like to have you go through and identify a big overview of who the people are on your team. And what I'm looking for is the positions and then what those people do. Could you walk us through that? Sure. First person you'll see is director of first impressions, and they make sure the client has a great uh, experience when they walk in. Then our support team is made up of our contracts manager, who takes contracts from point of contract to closing, except doing inspections. They negotiate the inspection repairs, but they don't attend the inspections. The buyer specialists attend those. And we have a marketing department, marketing manager and her assistant. They do data entry, marketing projects, staging assistance. Everyone in our listing department is professionally trained as a stager. And then uh, photography and signage and flyers and all of those things, you know, putting us up on, you know, all the websites and, and different things like that. And we have our buyer specialist team, six of them, and they take calls eight to eight and are on call in three-hour shifts, seven days a week. And during the week, they... Uh, answer the phone in the office and um, in the evenings they answer the phone and gets rolled to their cell in the evenings and on weekends. And then we have myself and two listing partners. We do all the listings and I have an assistant that uh, keeps me on task. They keep me focused and in my element at all times and so I spend my days having my meetings with my management or training buyer specialists or training listing specialists. And then I'm negotiating, prospecting, and or doing listing appointments. I don't do paperwork anymore. I don't do anything outside of my very narrow focus of following up with my sellers, negotiating contracts, and listing appointments. How are you doing your listing appointments when you're only there Monday through Friday from 8 to 3 and no evenings or weekends? Funny question. A good one, though. If you would have told me 20 years ago I could set every listing appointment that I have at 12.30 or you know 1 o'clock in the afternoon, I would have laughed. And every day I have a listing appointment right around the lunch hour. And sometimes I stack in two if we're really, really, really busy. I have one at 12.30 and one at 2. My listing appointments are pretty direct, straight and to the point. And I'm out of there in generally 45 minutes, no paperwork involved. And my team swoops in after that and gets all the paperwork done, fills everything out because I'm not good at it, gets them up and running. And then I call them and say, congratulations, we're on the market. This is what to expect. So you leave the listing appointment without a signature. Yep. How often do they turn around and and not sign after they've agreed to you at the listing appointment? Very, very rare. Very rarely do I lose a listing to somebody else. The only time they won't list is when it's not good for them. And in that case, they either have two choices. Uh, One is to to stay there for another three to five years until the market recovers, and the other is to turn it into a rental, and then I introduce them to my property management team. I just think that's impressive that you're consummating your listing agreement with them, the meeting of the minds, I assume, with a handshake. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Let's talk about your listing specialist. That's a a unique position. Do you call them listing specialists or listing partners? Both. 
Really, the title is Listing Specialist. What is their job? We have so many seller leads coming in that their job is to take them just like I do. And it's the first one there that uh, gets the lead as it comes in. The world stops when a lead comes in, whether it's a buyer or seller. They go through the seller interview sheet and set the appointments, and they do exactly what I do, except they do the paperwork. The listing specialist will go ahead and get a signature on the appointment while they're out there. Yeah, they will. Sometimes they bring them into the office as well. So um, I have one that likes the the two-appointment listing, and the other one that's newer is doing well. He's able to sit there for a couple of hours, you know, through the presentation and then the paperwork uh, better than we are. So either one is fine as long as the conversion ratios are great and they get the job done. Are you doing your listing appointments in the office or at the home? At the home. So every now and then I'll walk through a home and say, you know, based on what you have here, it's very unique and I want to redo my research and I'll bring them in. But when I do the listing and presentation, it's generally a quick tour. Let's sit down and put our heads together and figure out the best way to help you. And it's me understanding what they need and then me answering their questions, their jobs to have complete comfort in my ability. And I mentioned I come in as an expert, charts and graphs. This is what's going on in the market. And my close is, so the question you want to ask yourself, if we can get approximately this price in the market, is it good for you to sell? If it's not, don't do it. If it is, you know, let's get this thing sold. And I say, what do you think? And they say, well, yeah, let's get it sold. And I say, fantastic. We're going to save you time. We're going to fill out much of the paperwork as we possibly can. We can do two things. We can email that to you and show you where to sign, or you can swing by the office and fill it out with my marketing manager. It's up to you, and so it's just really quick and easy. What percentage of the people do it by email versus showing up at the office? Most show up at the office. They like that. They've got someone to walk them through, but, you know, probably 20% do email. How long have you had listing specialists? Five years. Are they the same people that you started with? Yeah, one is, and then we added a second one this January. The listing specialist, their job is to go out and do the listing. What do they do on either side of that? Do they do the prospecting and the follow-up in the beginning? Do they do the paperwork afterwards? Do they actually get it on the market, or do they hand it over to the listing department? They do the prospecting, so they take the leads as they come in. Just to back up for a second, if they're not there, let's say all three listing specialists are out on appointments, the buyer specialist will do the seller interview. And then they email it to all of us and say, here's a seller lead. And the first one that says, I've got it, gets it. And then they contact them. They send a pre-list and set the appointment. And then once they have the, the appointment, they do the paperwork and then hand all the paperwork to the listing department to put up. And then they'll go in and stage and and do photography and signage and all that. The main goal for the listing specialist is to capture the lead, follow up, set the appointment, do the appointment, and get a signed listing agreement. Right. And then they get to hand that off. When the contract comes in on that property, does the listing specialist negotiate it or another department? The listing specialist. 
So they'll do the negotiation as well. Does the listing specialist go to the closing? Yes. So does the buyer specialist. So the listing specialist is is running the whole side, the gambit of getting that lead, following and tracking it all the way through the end of closing. They are getting some assistance with the marketing and the paperwork in between, but they're really overseeing the entire process. Yes? The listing specialist, how do they get compensated? Strictly commission. Actually, I'm sorry. Um, I have one on a base uh, salary. And if he exceeds the base, he gets uh, bonuses based on um, production and the other strictly commission. You said you have one that's been there for five years and one that's newer. Which is on the commission and which is on the base? The guy that's been there for, uh, he's been with me for eight years or nine years now. He's on a base. He likes the, he has a family and he likes the, the consistency. He might have fluctuations in income and make a ton of money one month and, you know, be less productive the next month. So he's on the base and the newer guy is on commission. The one that's on commission, would you mind disclosing to us what the percentage is of their gross revenue? Not at all. Uh, We pay our listing specialist 25% of the earned commission. Any recommendations you have for someone who's thinking about bringing in their first listing specialist? Yeah, train them well. Make sure everybody is on the same page and delivering the the mission or vision of your company using the same systems. We just were exactly alike. In our scripts, we train once a week and, and go over everything. We have metrics that analyze what our conversions are. Uh, from lead to appointment, from appointment to listing, from listing to to sale, and so we're monitoring those constantly, and so we just have a very talented listing specialist pool with uh, my guys, Steve and Chris. They're, they're really good, but you want to make sure of that, and so monitoring that and holding them accountable to the systems is key and training them well. When you train them, how do you do that? Do you take them out on the listing appointments with you? Do you do this, all the training back in the office? Is there any field work? Initially, they, they come with you on the listing uh, presentations. So, and then you kind of ease them into it and say, okay, you know, you're, we're together still, so you do this one. And I'll assist as I, I feel it's needed. And then you turn them loose and you watch their numbers and, and then we practice our scripts. So you guys are remembering to use this graph and this chart and how do you explain it? So, I mean, what are you telling them? when you walk in and in the middle of the uh, presentation and at the end. And so we go over that each week. What numbers should they be achieving? That's another great question. A lot of times I think stars uh, expect people to hit the numbers that they did. And for years I sold over a hundred homes a year just on my own. And, you know, my team, you know, did the rest. And if they were that productive in my mind, they'd have their own team. And so I like to see my listing specialists striving for three to four a month for a minimum for sales, my buyer specialist uh, two a month for a minimum, and then beyond. You know, of course, they have those months that they knock them out of the park, and, but uh, uh, those are the minimums we like to see. What kind of success ratio should the listing specialist have as far as procuring a listing? So if they go out on 10 appointments, how many should they list? Depends on the market. So, you know, when ours tanked, we were always around 70% conversion. 
You know, that's even before we got good and became the experts versus just trying to sell ourselves. And we went down to 30% where nobody could sell. You know, it's just a numbers game, and we see it inching up now as as the market recovers a little bit, and people have had a longer period of time to pay down mortgages that were too high initially, and so it just depends on the market. That's fluctuating, but basically, it was from thirty to seventy percent based on the market. Right. The key is you're, you, that you're not losing them to the competition. So as long as, you know, we're not going to beat you up if you go to a seller's place and they owe, you know, 150 and their houses are worth 120 and they just can't sell, that they've got to stay there or they have to turn it into a rental. You know, there's nothing you can do. But if we're losing to the competition, that's not a good thing. You mentioned you have six buyer specialists. How long have you had buyer specialists on your team? A long, long time, so probably 15 years. One of the big questions everybody always asks when they're either bringing on buyer specialists or they already have them is what to compensate them with. How are you compensating your buyer agents? I start mine at 40%, and then if they're productive, they go up to 50%. That's the max. How do you define productivity? So they have to hit... I think I've got it right now. They can go to 50% if they hit three or more a month. And it occurs in that month. So if this month they close five, do all five closings go up to the 50% for this month? It's a rolling average, and they have to maintain that over a three-month period, I think it is. So it's looking backwards for three months, rolling average. If they've been achieving over three closings per month, they move from 40 to 50%. Right. Generally, once they hit that production level, they're not going to go backwards. And so once they hit that production level, you know, let's say they're brand new and they, they hit it in the, in the, after the first year or after two years or whatever it might be, then they're generally locked into that. But if they fall below that, they're dropping back down to 40%. Also, one other thing, too, on our Tiger and Boom, because they're so expensive, they get paid 10% less on those leads. So if they're at 50, they're making 40. So 10% less for the Internet leads? Yeah, for Tiger and Boom. Does that incentivize them to avoid the Tiger or Boomtown leads? Not at all. You know, I wondered about that, but um, it's just, it's, it's pretty easy, you know, in my mind. They're coming in, they're a pretty hot lead, and, you know, the system incubates them, and they say, hey, I want to see this home. Fantastic. And so I, I don't think so at all. That was one of my fears, though. One of the things that I did to eliminate that thought process is in the beginning we co-created everything with the team and we said, here are some systems, would you like them? And the only way we can really afford to do this is if you would pay a monthly fee of 250 bucks or whatever it was out of your pocket to support this program or when you sold it, this one was just 10% less, what would you prefer? And they all picked the 10% less. And so they, they bought into the program because they co-created the system. And they, they're the ones that said, yeah, we want the Boomtown and Tiger, more and more leads. So you got their buy-in before you even invested in it. Yep. Do you have a lead coordinator position? 
We are just starting one. The buyer specialists have done a great job managing the system. They set their own schedule, their own call times, and hand it out to the rest of the team. But they're at the point where they have realized that they could be more dollar productive if they spent their time in the appointments versus prospecting for them. And so we are bringing on, we've created the position of bringing on a lead coordinator to set the buyer orientations and we we call it a, a client care coordinator and to jump on all the leads, the Tiger and Boom, it's actually just going to be Tiger and Boom, and follow up with them and just say, you know, my job is to ensure that you're getting the most out of our site. Here are some recommendations in using it, and do you have any questions? And, you know, just fill out a, a, a buyer information sheet and then recommend based on where they're at the next step in the process. Like, you know, you're at the point where your next step would probably be getting into a better system that's more up-to-date and meeting with the buyer specialist to kind of fine-tune your search criteria and then start getting you into houses if you're three months out. So let me set that up for you, and then you can meet the person that will you know, show you the houses and that type of thing. And so, so I'm just starting that. Do you have somebody in the position now? They're in training right now. They're going live on Monday. So we don't have any results yet? We don't. Who did you model? Did you go out and find a model for this? Yeah, I've talked to several top producers around the country and gotten some input. So kind of created it off other people's experiences and ideas. How would you compensate this position? $12 an hour and a percentage of each closing. Okay, what percentage of each closing? And I think the buyer specialists are paying for that person, that lead coordinator. Is that in addition to the 10% that they've already agreed to reduce their commission for on these type of leads? Mm-hmm. So with the lead coordinator position, the buyer specialist will be paying for that by reducing their commission by 20%, 10% for the fact that it came from Tiger or Boomtown, and another 10% for the fact that they have a lead coordinator now doing all the follow-up. Right. Yep. To keep them face-to-face with the client. So they should spend their whole day writing offers, negotiating contracts, showing homes, and doing buyer orientations. Well, that's great. I look forward to following up with you to find out how that works. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I bet it will work well, but you never know. So we'll see. Paul, you've, you've got all these people running around. You've got these expenses with your billboards and your television. There are going to be agents listening to us, and they're going to be asking the question, are you profitable? You know, there had been years in the past where I couldn't say yes as I learned and I grew. I reckon, you know, I mentioned the first year. But, yeah, our margins year-to-date are 43%, and I always strive for between 40 and and uh, 50%. So I'm not complaining. Do you pay yourself a salary? I do. Is your salary, is it taken out before the 40%? No. So your overall income that's coming to you is that 43% and that includes your salary? Right, right. So your expenses are running around 57, 57%. Yep. Well, Paul, that's a, that's a great profit margin. What do you attribute that to? How did you go from having these break-even years or maybe even a loss to having this nice, strong profit margin? Probably the most important aspect of our business 
are the metrics. And so metrics hold us accountable. They allow us to win every single day. So, for example, I know that I have to focus on certain things every single day. I need to cast the vision. I need to lead the team. I need to, to educate myself. I need to list and sell and recruit and, and, and that type of thing. And, and every day I'm after that accomplishment, those metrics, and we report them every day and we even do a huddle. We report them out loud in the huddle each morning. So it holds us accountable. And then, then the run rate that we use, which is how we're doing on our goal for the year, so if my goal is to sell 75 homes in a year, uh, in January I should have this many closed, and in February I should have this many closed, and we monitor the run rate and say, are we at 100% of our goal or 110% of our goal or 90% of our goal, and so we're always watching that for each individual and the team goal combined. And so we have our eye on the ball all the time, and we know exactly what to do every single day to accomplish those wins. Accent Realtors, is that your company, or are you working for someone else? It is my company. Have you always been running your own company as far as the brokerage, or did you work under someone else at some point? When I first got my license, um, I hung my license for a year. The rule in Oklahoma was I had to hang my license as an associate for one year with a broker. I met him one time, uh, and a year to the day later, I called him back and said, okay, I'm a broker now. Please send my license back. So I've really always been running my own show. And that's your entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah, that's that, that farming at 11, right? You would have made a great farmer. I think you also mentioned at one point, or maybe I had in my notes, that you've got some real estate investment holding companies. What are you doing there? So initially, I started out as an investor when I was in college. And remember, I found that's how I found real estate. Well, I continued to invest and have saved over 50% of uh, everything I've ever made and invested in real estate and, and that type of thing. And so I have a great pool of real estate in investment. So yeah, it's, it's, it's what's made us wealthy, even more so than owning a real estate company. It just puts us in a great place to take advantage of the investing by being a realtor. Would you mind disclosing how many properties you own or what types of properties? Yeah, not not at all. I don't even know the number, actually. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, somewhere around 50 or 60, and they are houses, duplexes, fourplexes, office building, office light industrial. So it's really a, a mix, but the majority of them are residential houses. I'm closing on two more this month that are, you know, little rentals and Midtown area that will pull, you know, eight to nine hundred dollars a month in rent, and so just nice little properties. What advice could you give to an agent who's thinking about starting their wealth creation by purchasing a rental property? Boy, learn about it and then do it. I mean, the problem with with our business is when we stop working, the income stops, and so that's pretty sad. I mean, if you look at investment advisors and and insurance salespeople, they get the residual. We do not. And the only way to get the residual is to invest in real estate and have that wake-up money. And every month we wake up with a whole bunch of money 
that's coming in no matter where I'm at. I can be on the beach. I can be in the mountains. I can, you know, be uh, be taking a vacation anywhere, and that money is coming in. And so it's a great, great retirement plan, a great wealth builder, and it also allows you to, as you build your wealth with other people's money, so the renters are paying down your your mortgages, um, it allows you to borrow your own money, so lines of credits, uh, we call them equity lines or you know that type of thing, to invest in more real estate. And so it's just a, a great tool to build wealth. So by all means, do it. You mentioned that you are getting mortgages on these properties. Any recommendations there? Do you try to get the most mortgage you can, a 90 95%? Are you trying to put down a certain amount of money? And how does that play into your cash flow situation? Do you have a cash flow goal for each property you buy? Yeah, another great question. So it depends on where you're at as well. So initially, you know, my first property, I think I bought with an FHA loan. I put my own roof on before closing and painted it before closing. I was in college, right? And I had $3,000 that I used to get into the property. And as you progress, the key is not leveraging yourself to the hilt. And so you take all of your cash flow and pay down those mortgages. That's the key. And so you build equity. You do not take that money and take vacations. You do not uh, take that money and, and buy a big, beautiful house for yourself or a big, beautiful, fancy car for yourself. You save and reinvest and save and reinvest. And now I do... Um, 65% 65% loan to value on every property I I uh, buy, and uh, and my goal is is and always has been to pay everything off, and I own millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of real estate in the area, and I'll be paid off in um, on everything in about five years. That's fantastic! Congratulations. Thank you. It's it's been fun. I really enjoy the journey with the. Real estate investment's been a great, great uh, ride and experience for us. Do you try to buy in at the low end of the market, the middle of the market, the high end of the market, as far as your average price of the properties? I try to buy value. I don't want a a mansion, of course, but I want, um, you know, like this year, I think I've picked up eight properties. The highest price was um, $150,000. Uh, with an appraisal of 230 or something like that. And then the lowest price was 20000 uh, on a property. And, of course, we needed to basically rebuild that one. But, uh, you know, I focus on what the overall value is compared to what I'm paying or what it can be once I make the improvements. Then, of course, cash flow. I want uh, a good return on my investment. Every property that you buy must have positive cash flow? Yes. Do I always get that? <laughs> I do. I do uh, more so now than uh, you know I used to in the beginning. I've made a lot of mistakes, but um, I, I get it now. I'd assume some of that is because you're putting so much down. Yeah, yeah, that helps. You're putting down thirty-five percent, and that helps the cash flows. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to increase cash flow, of course, not to spend it. I don't, I don't need the extra money, and my wife and I are in our prime earning years, so we don't need the rental income. So all of that just goes back towards the properties and paying down mortgages and buying new ones. Paul, what drives you? 
You know, it's it's kind of funny. Remember I told you I had a slow start? Because mm-hmm. I evolve and, and become a better leader and get older and get some experience and wisdom. Taking care of my team is, is critical. We've got, man, I, I work with the best group of people you could ever imagine. And so making sure that they have a fantastic career and a, and a, and a uh, great life and a great place to work and financial stability, that's a, a key driver. My family, my oldest is 10 years old, and I, I swear I just played before then and then all of a sudden I'm a dad and I went whoa that changes everything and so I've you know made more progress in the last 10 years than I did in the previous probably 20 (laughs) so uh, that drives me a lot but I also started out with a vision and it was to give back and I don't know if I mentioned that I wanted to work the first half of my life and and save a lot of money, and I have done that. I've always saved over 50% of everything I've ever made. And so I've become wealthy, and so my thought was the last half of my life I'll create a foundation and give back. And so that's that's what I'm targeting now. And so my next birthday is 50, so it's, uh, it's going to start. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, it's exciting. I'm, I'm really excited about that. Most people aren't excited about turning 50, but I'm thrilled because of the the new, uh, you know, the new um, direction and, and campaign and the last, last half of my life. Another one of my goals was to live to be 100, in case you were wondering. So. <laughs> sure, sure. Have you already established your foundation? You know, we are in the process of that right now, and it's kind of interesting. That's a good question. Originally, I had targeted 50 years old and I was running behind a little you know played too much when I was younger um, but uh, so I'm about five years out from paying off all the real estate mortgages and me and we are done at that point that we have so much money coming in but as I got closer and you know started seeing my 50th birthday uh, coming up on me uh, I was challenged to um, really look at my goals and and speed them up or double them or whatever. And I'm like, you know, how am I going to do that? So I started thinking and I went, you know, one of the concerns I have is, is quitting real estate. I absolutely love it. Some people go to work every day. I have a blast. I work with great people. We serve our clients well. It's just fun. And so I think to myself, oh, man, do I really want to retire? And, and I finally realized I'd go bonkers. I, I really would if I retired, even if it's to run a foundation. So what I've decided to do, and we're putting the structure in place right now for a rollout on the 50th birthday party, is taking 100% of my income from that point forward, and we say profits, but we've got a, it's semantics right now with our, our laws in Oklahoma. We can't give away profits. So we're, we're going to donate everything above my salary to charity from this point forward with a focus on kids and education for a long-term effect. And so we're just going to get back to Tulsa for the next 50 years. I get to stay in the business and play and create a movement of sorts with the passion of, you know, the community behind us. And just we're hoping to give back millions and millions and millions instead of, you know, just selling the company to my team or whatever and saying, okay, you know, I have a few million here. Let's spend the next 50 years giving this back. We 
we get to generate more income so we can give more back and make a bigger difference. So um, January, we're rolling that out. Wow, that's exciting. Oh, man, I can't, I can't wait. Will you turn the company into a nonprofit? You can't. Another great question. We're going to have to set up a nonprofit that has a licensed that's a licensed brokerage or an entity. We can we can pay a licensed brokerage our profits, but the IRS will not allow us to set up a for profit business, a business providing a service that people are paying for, and make it nonprofit. So there's a code that says you can't do that. So there's, we're putting together this structure right now, and in the last two weeks I've been emailing the chief investigator for the Oklahoma Real Estate Commission and you know finding just ways to structure the proper wording and everything that we can do within the Oklahoma laws. So it will involve a nonprofit through probably our community foundation, so Tulsa Community Foundation. It's just going to be a little different structure with tax advantages and then keeping us legal with the Oklahoma laws, which are a little weird. That's awesome. What an incredible way to give back. Oh, yeah. Thank you. It's, uh, I'm thrilled. And I get to speed it up. I don't have to wait for the real estate to be paid off. You know, at that point, when that's paid off, then I don't, I don't even need a salary. You know, right now, I'm going to stay on a salary, but, uh, but I'll be producing, so that's okay. Wow, that's the, the biggest give back I've heard of. That's fantastic. Thank you. Paul, why have you been so successful? Man, I am driven. Maybe it's fear of failure. <laughs> you know, uh, I, uh, what is, uh, Alex told me something recently, or Katie maybe, that said there have been studies done that if something drastic happened to you before age of 13, you were generally going to be more driven. And so our life changed significantly, you know, as a kid, and my dad had a government job, civil defense. Remember? Well, you don't remember that. You're not old enough. So they taught you to hide under desks, and we had the nuclear threat, uh, you know, Cold War and all that stuff. And so that went away. And then we went to the farm that we own, and we had to subsist. I mean, so it was a major change. I went from emptying the garbage once a week to growing everything that we that we. Um, eight. So our grocery bill was $5 a week. And then my parents, um, $5 every two weeks, actually. It was toilet paper, you know, paper towels and dish soap. And then um, my parents went through bankruptcy. And so, you know, those probably changed me. And, you know, I'm genetically encoded now to save. I just don't like spending money. You open my wallet and the moss will fly out. And so it's just, uh, it's the way I was either born or or made through my experiences as, as a young kid and and you know it's also that vision when I left home at 17 and, and saw the need in my travels I traveled a few years before I went to college the need of of the young people the children and the change in the educational system I left home totally unprepared for the world and I went you know it doesn't have to be that way and so that that vision of giving back later on in life drives me as well. So that's that's probably it. I have a long-term goal. And I remember, too, it's not the goal that is going to be the 
end all be all it's the it's the journey and it, and it really is i love the process of creating wealth and creating a business and and you know i'll get there to the end result but that's not what i'm after it's just every day i wake up and i'm excited about the process and the journey and it's just I'm weird, <laughs> as, my, as my friends and my team call me. They go, man, you have rose-colored glasses. You are a, a glass half-full kind of guy. You are just strange, Paul, but we love you. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I go through life with a pretty big smile. Paul, if you were going to advise a brand-new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? Hire an assistant. I did it right out of the right out of the box, right out of the gate, and focus on the dollar productive activities that you should be good at. If you're not good at prospecting and listing and selling and showing and buyer orientations, you better get good at them, or you're going to be out of business. And so, become an expert and hire an assistant that keeps you heading in the right direction. Because if you're doing everything you're doing, well, it used to be five dollars an hour work. Now it's ten dollars an hour work. But, uh, yeah, that's probably what I'd say. Do you think that top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent are valuable? Absolutely. And that's how I uh, uh, got to the level I'm at now, you know, through the help of uh, all our friends and, and their experiences. Well, Paul, I've gotten to the end of my questions for today. Is there anything else that you'd like to talk about that we haven't addressed? I don't think so. You had a lot of great questions, and I think you covered everything, and this should help new and and old, or maybe I should say experienced agents, and so I, I hope that it does. Well, Paul, you've helped and inspired new and veteran agents alike. You opened up and shared how you built your organization around the concept of fully informing your clients so they can make an educated decision. You've built systems to simplify your business and benefit your clients and your team. You showed us how to build wealth by investing in our own product, real estate. You showed us how to give back to our communities and be grateful for all we've achieved. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who sold 198 homes last year and generated 68% of his business from past clients and sphere of influence. Find out who he is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at freeleadtime.com. That's freeleadtime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now 
to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.